The Lord be with you. A reading from the Holy Gospel according to John. Glory to you, O Lord. Jesus said to his disciples, Do not let your hearts be troubled. You have faith in God. Have faith also in me. In my Father's house there are many dwelling places. There were not. Would I have told you that I am going to prepare a place for you? And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come back again and take you to myself, so that where I am, you also may be. Where I am going, you know the way. Thomas said to him, Master, we do not know where you are going. How can we know the way? Jesus said to him, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. If you know me, then you will also know my Father. From now on, you do know him and have seen him. Philip said to him, Master, show us the Father and that will be enough for us. Jesus said to him, Have I been with you for so long a time and you still do not know me, Philip? Whoever has seen me has seen the Father. How can you say, Show us the Father? Do you not believe that I am in the Father and the Father is in me? The words that I speak to you, I do not speak on my own. The Father who dwells in me is doing his works. Believe me that I am in the Father and the Father is in me, or else believe because of the works themselves. Amen, amen, I say to you, whoever believes in me will do the works that I do and will do greater ones than these because I'm going to the Father. The Gospel of the Lord. Well, as I mentioned at the introduction here to Mass, it just came back from the Holy Land, uh, 10 days there with uh, 27 uh, in the group, 28 with myself, people from the Raynham Christie movement, that the, the Legionaries, my spiritual family, some of them, some members from the Lumen Institute, which I'm a chaplain for, and then some assorted other uh, people who jumped in on the trip. And people have asked me, oh, the Holy Land, what was impactful for you? And what was most impactful, myself having lived in Rome, another kind of mother city of Western culture, uh, Western culture being in Israel and Jerusalem, like another city even more essential and historical, it, it was the concreteness or the encountering the concrete places and spaces where our, all the things we read about every Sunday happened, right? Like Nazareth, where Mary lived and where she received the Annunciation, or being in Bethlehem, where Jesus was born, you know? Where being in the Mount of Transfigurations, or where Jesus preached the Beatitudes, or going to Capernaum and seeing the synagogue where Jesus preached, where Peter lived, where James and John had their boats, right? Like, just being in that space, it's like, it's right here. <laughs> and you can say, well, really? I mean, how much? Of, I mean, the lake hasn't changed. It's not like all of a sudden the Lake of Galilee is in northern Michigan, right? <laughs> it's there. And it's the same lake. Maybe it's evaporated a little bit, a little more or less. But the shore is the shore of the Sea of Galilee. It's there. The town of Nazareth, it's not like, well, the town was here and now it's 30 miles somewhere else. No, it's, it's on the side of this hill. It's been there ever since and it's still there. Right, the historicity, right, the roots. That's what impressed me. 
uh, in the real life kind of political situations that Jesus faced the following, it just becomes much more real that our faith is not just some ideas, it's not Conf Confucianism, kind of some great ideas or even Buddhism, but it's, there's, there's lives of individual people, right? Who preached and lived it and then it spread from there. That's what impacted me. Somewhat related to what I'm gonna actually preach about. So let's get into the readings today. Uh, I'm going to touch on the first reading, the second reading, and the gospel. Uh, the first reading, what impresses me is, I'm going to title it, The Diversity of the Church, right? And it's just the first line. As the numbers of disciples continue to grow, so we're in the book of Acts, right? Jesus has now sent the apostles out. He's gone to heaven. They're preaching and extending and preaching this message to Jews and Greeks, and it's growing. It says a problem comes up. The Hellenists complained against the Hebrews, because their widows were being ne neglected in the daily distribution. The only point I want to make here is just to help us kind of understand and appreciate the roots of our faith. The Hellenists, who were the Hellenists? Everybody go back to your grade school. The Greeks, right? Named after Helena, the daughter of Zeus, right? Married to Menelaus. Over her, the whole Trojan War started, because, uh, etc. She's the mother of the Greeks, right? The Hellenists. So the Greeks were complaining because their widows, so their husbands had died, these, these elderly women uh, who don't maybe have family to defend or protect them under law. They weren't really juridical persons. They couldn't fight their cases and defend themselves. They needed to be cared for by the community, were being neglected by the Jewish distributors of the food, of what was collected by the community. The community would collect everything and take care of everybody, right? Like we do in Catholic charities or nonprofits today. People would share their wealth, they would collect it and then pass it out. Well, the Greek wives were upset they weren't being, or the widows, treated equally and given attention. And the, maybe the Jewish wives were not, <laughs> keep a little more for themselves, who knows? But, but what strikes me is, the people that joined the Catholic faith at the very beginning were Greeks and Jews. People from all over the Mediterranean with hundreds of years of history and a whole different religion believed in multiple gods. They were polytheists. Their morals were all over the place. They didn't believe what we believe about marriage. They didn't believe what we believe about homosexuality. They didn't believe what we believe about the dignity of the human person, the way you should treat respect. And obviously we were still discovering the implications of those beliefs as well. But they were from a whole different faith. And then you had the Jewish people from a whole different faith, from Abraham and Moses and Isaac and the temple worship and their priests and all that tradition of animal sacrifice and, and living separately. And they had their culture and their roots and they were converted too. And now these two vastly different groups believe the same things, right? If you want to talk about diversity, no one is more diverse than the Catholic Church. Universally, I mean, just celebrating Mass in the Holy Sepulchre, you have five different Christian Catholic faiths, Orthodox faiths, all sharing the same church, not always peacefully. But diversity is part, Jesus, his 12 departs, that's the heart of what Catholic is, universal, right? Just to value that. Now, the other thing to, to notice with this first reading is, although they were from all over the map as far as peoples and beliefs and roots and histories that came together, they came together unified by their faith in Jesus and organized by the apostles, right? 
organize the community, distribute the goods, make sure everybody is taken care of. And they also say, hey, we've got to preach the faith. We can't be dealing with this. So they elect seven reputable men who are also, by their names, you can tell they're Greeks, they're Romans, they're Jews, they're from all over. They represent, they come together and they care for the practical needs, right? So very diverse group who comes together in the origin of our faith. The second point from the second reading, first letter of St. Peter, it's this beautiful phrase, you know, come to him, the living stone rejected by human beings, but chosen and precious in the sight of God, right? What unites this diversity is their faith in Jesus Christ, their belief that what Jesus preached and that what then Peter, James, and John, and Paul preached was true. And they organized their life around it. They left what they worshiped before and they started living and believing and praying and worshiping in a whole different way because of Jesus Christ, right? And that was the invitation, right? To come to Jesus, the living stone, right? The one that God placed there and organize your life around him. He was the unifying factor, this living stone which was rejected. And he goes on to say, this rejected stone has become the cornerstone, the keystone right, to the building of this new church, this new spiritual house. And what I mean by, and why this is important, is because even though they were very diverse, not everything they all brought was accepted in this faith, right? There became a criteria of, hey, we come from different places, and it's all beautiful and valuable, but now we believe this. So there were certain things they had to leave behind that weren't in accord with Jesus Christ and their faith. They didn't have to leave behind their Greek food or didn't have to leave behind maybe their Jewish family traditions. But little by little, they stopped going to the temple, stopped going to the synagogue, and started celebrating Mass. They, not everything in the diversity became common. Some things were left out. According to what criteria? Jesus Christ, and then what the apostles and the disciples started teaching and accepting, right? all around Jesus Christ, the living stone. And this is what I think is important for us, right? You're starting to see what it means for us. Lots of things are beautiful, but according to Jesus Christ, some are left aside and some are embraced. And this is what I want. Jesus is the cornerstone, the cornerstone, the living stone. What's a cornerstone, right, in construction? Anybody from construction background, right? My family does a little bit of it. A cornerstone is the first stone that you set right? And in some buildings, it's the corner, right? How that stone is cut and measured and laid is essential to the solidity of the whole structure, especially if it's a stone house. As you line up the bricks off of that center, if it's off, by the time you get here, then this angle is going to be off. And then how do you unite these? Then you've got a wacky walls. And if it's tilted when you set it and it's a little off and you start stacking one wall's going out and the other one's going out. And then like, how do you, then when you put the roof on, it's going to push the wall. And it all starts with the cornerstone, how well it's cut, how well it's placed, how it's set. And if it's set precisely and well, and then of course, each of the stones offer off of that, it becomes the essence of the solidity of the whole building. The same with the keystone, right? The keystone, if you have an arch, all the stones are built up, and that center stone, that key stone of which everything, 
all the weight, distributes it. It has to be flush. The angles have to be perfect. And everything then builds off of that. That arch then can span aqueducts, can cover hundreds of kilometers. But the cornerstone is key. When we say that Jesus is the keystone or Jesus is the cornerstone, and he's the one, as it says here, the stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone, right? And this passage from the scripture, behold, I am laying a stone in Zion, a cornerstone, chosen and precious. God himself sets that stone, sets Jesus Christ, and off of him, he becomes the measuring stick. He becomes the principle. He becomes the criteria of everything else. And if you're precisely aligned with him, there's solidity in your life. The church is solid, right? He becomes the essence of the gospel, Jesus Christ. And off of him, we become a living church. So that relationship with Jesus Christ becomes so important for us, right? It's the heart of everything. It's why we go back to the Holy Land and pilgrimage to see where Jesus lived and preached. And then finally, the third uh, point, and this will be briefer, is the gospel According to John, Jesus is insisting, don't let your hearts be troubled. Don't worry. All you need is faith in God, faith in me. Jesus doesn't, you know, kind of skirt around the fact that he is the living stone. He's the cornerstone. He's the point of reference. Believe in him. Build your life on him. Trust his measurements. Trust his criteria. And leave aside everything else and make him the center criteria of your life. That's what Jesus is proposing. And, and Thomas and, and here in the, the gospel, excuse me, yeah, Thomas and then Philip, both are like questioning, well, master, how is it? And we don't know where you're going, so how are we going to know the way to the Father? And, and they're struggling with this, even having been with Jesus for so long, if Jesus does it back. It's like, how long do I have to be? If you know me, if you have a relationship with me, that's the way. I'm the way. So setting Jesus in our life is totally, uh, is, is essential and is important. As always, some practical implications. Jesus points out, as does the second reading, this stone will be rejected. And if you reject it, it becomes a stumbling stone. No longer is it the solid foundational organizing principle of things as big and as beautiful as skyscrapers or as St. Peter's, that core constructive stone. If you reject it, then it becomes a stumbling stone. It impedes you. It trips you, stub your toe. It wounds. It hurts. It throws into disorder. It knocks you off kilter, right? Because it's solid and it's there and it has to be contended with. Jesus isn't, he's there, you know, and if you, you can build on his truths or you can try to find some other measurement <laughs> and some have been semi-successful, but nothing as solid as what Jesus offers us, right? And so it's a stone that could be rejected and is often rejected. And if you go to the Holy Land today, the, the, the tensions around the acceptance or rejections, the rejection is there, right? That's the invitation. Have faith in him. Believe in him. Trust that he's going to build us a house in heaven and organize our lives around it. So practical applications in our daily lives, daily prayer becomes important. It orders your whole life. Just those simple traditions, getting out of bed, kneeling down next to your bed, beginning your day with prayer, 
before you go to bed, kneeling down, examining the day, talking to Jesus about how you lived according to his measurements, according to his criteria. Organize your day, not on, not on Twitter until you fall asleep. It's not the organizing principle of life. That's not the way to organize. It's on Christ. He's got to be, and then everything else takes shape, healthy, beautiful, flourishing shape, right? Daily prayer. When we bless our food, Father, Son, Holy Spirit, thank you, Lord. We give you thanks for this gift, for this food that you've provided, right? Those healthy, beautiful Catholic traditions of how to organize and give structure to our daily life, what we celebrate, how we rest, how we name our children, all of those beautiful things reflect the organizing principle, the stone on which we construct our lives. And it should be Jesus Christ and our faith. So brothers and sisters, let's Ask for that grace in this Mass, that what we celebrate here in the Eucharist, what we commune with and become one with, it could then become the cornerstone, the living stone, the, the keystone, the organizing principle of all of our existence. Amen.